our hearts, to stir our hearts for the preaching, the teaching of His Word. And there's a lot of truth, a lot of uh, solid doctrine and theology in these old hymns. I love them so much. I'll tell you, they are a great comfort many times in life, are they not? As we uh, get into trials and some of the things that happen in our lifetimes, uh, to be able to have these songs to sing and the verses of Scripture that God brings to heart and to mind is a great comfort and oftentimes helps us to know uh, what direction to go, uh, what steps we're to take. And uh, so so thankful for His Word, and I'm thankful for a church that loves good, biblical, scriptural music, and I appreciate that so much. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, turn to the book of 1 John. Uh, it's almost to the end of your Bible, if you're not familiar with that. 1 John, chapter number 2. 1 John, chapter number 2. I, uh, in, I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, in getting notes together and preparing this week for the lesson that we taught in Sunday school in the book of Mark, I was impressed with the number of times that uh, the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to pen the words immediately, or, or, or uh, uh, what was the other one? Uh, straightway. There we go. Couldn't remember the other one. Uh, in reference to our Lord Jesus Christ accomplishing the work that His Father had given Him to do. And the picture, the emphasis of the, the diligence and the fervency with which our Savior accomplished the work that He knew He was sent to do. And as I thought on those things this week and began to evaluate some things, I began to think, boy, we have sure missed that in the day that we have lived. The example that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us of His fervency and His diligence even to the uh, sometimes the expense of his own family and his own uh, kin, how often they came to him, and how often his disciples came to him, and uh, they would make some comment. Uh, his family asking him when he was 12 years old why he had not gone with them, and he said, "No, uh, no, it's not that I must be about my father's business." His disciples, having gone to get some meat. And knowing that their Lord had not eaten, and they came back, and He said, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. And I, uh, I've been, uh, I would say, I don't, I don't want to say stunned, but I've been, I've been amazed, I've been shocked in recent days as I've studied some things and, and tried to research some things in the, the, the day that we're living in. At the, at the number of people, and this has been a number of months now, that I've been very impressed of this mindset that there's so many people in our world today that are, that are denying God, and, and not just denying Him, but hatefully so. And to hear comments that are made and to read things that, folks write about our Savior, the blasphemy that takes place in our society. My fear is that sometimes because we live in our world of 
uh, Kefa Heights Baptist Church and our church family. And yes, I understand many of us work uh, in the world and there are some times that we're exposed. I, I think sometimes, though, that we live in a bubble. We don't understand the nature of the problems our society and our world are going through. We're somewhat oblivious to them. And as such, it, it creates in us a sense of uh, not, not having to, to, to not have a sense of urgency. We don't realize how great the problems are. We don't realize the hundreds of thousands, in fact, I would say millions in our country, that do not know the Lord as their Savior, nor do they have any desire to. In fact, many of them would rather blaspheme God and speak ill against those that hold to the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard comments such as, how weak-minded Christians are, that they have to believe in God or they couldn't cope with life, how that, how that they uh, use God as, as a crutch. I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you, absolutely I do. Because the truth is, I couldn't save myself. I, I'm appalled at, at the the decline in, in just my lifetime, and some of you are older than I am and would, have, would be able to give testimony today that it's even been worse in, in the time that you've had to observe. But I remember a day when even unsaved people and people who didn't attend church at least had a, a respect and a reverence for God and the things of God. They may not have believed it. They may not have trusted Christ as their Savior, but they would have. many of them have said at least there is a God out there. And yet nowadays we see over and over again because of the indoctrination that's gone on for so many years in our public education systems, in our workplaces, in our higher education systems, in our politics, and sad to say even in our churches, that we have denied the truth of God's Word. And Christians have sat idly by, not realizing that the problem was as great as it was, or not caring. Those are the only two explanations. Either we didn't know, or we didn't care. And as a result, we're seeing our world get worse and worse. The Bible tells us that was going to be the case. It's not something that is shocking to us, but... It ought to be something that is very convicting. It ought to be something that causes us to give pause and to question, to examine ourselves. If we were to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon, would we be able to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Or would we have been that slothful servant? I think there's a great benefit, a great privilege that we have for God to bring conviction upon our hearts and for us to take time to reflect on these things internally. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. All I do is teach or preach the Word of God. I, I'm not here to bring conviction to your heart. 
I can only express the truth and how it, how it applies to the world we live in today. But you've got to have the Holy Spirit bring conviction to you. And I think it would do us well in our hearts to say, Lord, search me. Help me to see. It's interesting that when Jesus was teaching His disciples about the labor that was to be their lot in life, in their course, He told them that they needed to lift up their eyes and look unto the fields. I've always found that peculiar. Because He said they are white already unto harvest. And if they were white already unto harvest, referring to those lost souls, not to a wheat field, but to the world that was lost, if they were white already unto harvest, what was it that was hindering the disciples from realizing this? And when I look at what Christ charged them with, I would have to say it's because they failed to lift up their eyes and they failed to look on the fields. And I would say that that is probably the the biggest downfall, the biggest failure of Christianity in 2023. We have not lifted up our eyes. And we have not looked under the fields. And as a result, we are oblivious many times. Oh, we may have a sense. We, we may have a thought that, boy, our world is bad. I, I don't think there's very many in here today that follow after the Word of God that wouldn't agree that our world is in, in a bad shape, in a bad way. But I don't think we have any ideas to the degree how far it has gone. In 1 John chapter number 2, I want us to look at a couple of things here. In verse number 18, John writes, Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby ye know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of, not all of us. But we have an unction from the Holy One. And ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Father, I pray that you'll bless the message. And Lord, you know the burden of my, my heart and how inadequate I think words will ever be to try to express it. So, Lord, I ask that Your Word and Your Holy Spirit will do what I cannot. May I have my eyes opened. And may there be others in this room that, through the preaching of Your Word, the leading of Your Holy Spirit, have our eyes opened once again. May we understand fully the urgency of the work that You've given for us to do. 
that there would be a mindset or the idea that we would immediately, that we would straightway be busy accomplishing the work that You've given us to do. Guide and direct our steps and our thoughts and our hearts today. And do Your work as only You can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, I want to look at a few other passages of Scripture. Let's go over, if you will, just a, a few pages to First John chapter 4. John already said in chapter 2, he said that there are already antichrists. John writing in the first century, just shortly after the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, already made reference to the fact that there were those that denied that Jesus was the Christ. And so the, the, the state that we find our world in today is nothing new. It, it, we shouldn't sit here this morning and, and, and realize and be surprised and be like, wow, how did that happen? For this has been an ongoing thing since the time of Christ. I believe in the day that we live, it has gotten far, far worse. We've been neglectful in understanding this, and the Bible tells us and charges us as Christians that we are to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. A context of walking circumspectly and understanding and having a, a vision for what is going on in the world around us and to being aware. The context that that is given in is that we would redeem the time because the days are evil. That there would be a, a, an idea, a mindset of fervency, of diligence given to the work, the task that God has given for each and every one of us to do. If you're here today and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, can I tell you, God has entrusted the most precious message ever man has ever heard into your hands and into mine. What have we done with it? What have we done with it? Let's look in 1 John chapter 4 for a moment. Begin reading in verse number 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the Spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already... Is it in the world? Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the Spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. We're living in a day where the world spends more time listening to itself than they do listening to God's people. John says that's going to happen. It's going to be the case. But the sad thing of the matter is, they're not hearing it today, not because they just don't want to hear it. They're not hearing it today because Christians are not proclaiming it. 
It would be one thing if they heard it and rejected it. It's another thing entirely when they have no opportunity to even hear it. I was listening to an interview. A Christian fellow was interviewing uh, some young college-age students. They claimed to be atheists. They said they did not believe that there was a God. They did not believe in creation. They did not believe in the fact that there was any moral absolute or truth to be followed. And I thought, you know, this, these are college-age students on a college campus, and it could be that they were raised that way from the time they were children in their homes. And it's interesting, a number of years ago I came across a magazine, Time Magazine, which is by no means a religious publication, but on the cover of it, the title of the article, the key article in the, that issue was The Generation That Forgot God. It's referring to the generation following the World War II generation that were being raised, whatever the reason was, whether if after the war people wanted to forget about the, the troubles and the cares and the hardships of the war. But America decided to take a life of leisure. And as a result attending church, going to Sunday schools and Bible studies were neglected. Families would rather go to the lake on the weekends than have their kids in church. And that generation was raised. And it's sad that it took a secular publication to recognize the fact that that generation was raised without being taught the things of the Lord. Why was it that God's people were not standing up and crying out about this? Since that time, there have been at least three more generations that have been raised by generations before them that had forgotten God. And can I say this, that each one has gotten significantly worse. A number of years ago, I was reading a book, uh, Rushing Toward Gomorrah. And in it, the author uh, uses a phrase, and he called it defining deviance down. And he said that, generally speaking, the, uh, each generation has a center for their moral beliefs of what is acceptable, what is right and wrong, or what is acceptable and what is deviant. And they have extremes from that center that they can go to. And once you cross a particular line, they would consider that to be deviant. And his, his observation in writing this book of Rushing Toward Gomorrah was that each generation will center their moral compass at the extreme of the generation before it. Meaning that right at the point of where we would consider it to be a deviant behavior, that is where they will begin to center their morals. And that the generation following them will in turn do the same thing. And he talks about it spiraling out of control. He called it defining deviance down. And if we say, well, I don't know if that happens or not, all you have to do is read about the Israelites in the Old Testament and you'll find the exact same thing happening. Generation after generation would happen and the moral center would begin to erode and decline. Until God finally said, that's enough, I'm going to bring judgment, and He would bring judgment to the nation of Israel. And after a period of judgment, Israel would repent. 
And God would restore them again and bring them out of bondage, bring them out of judgment. And for several years, there would be revival. There would be a fear of God. There would be a love for the things of God. But sure enough, as sure as I'm standing here, within a generation or two or three, the downward spiral would begin all over again. And I tell you, we have stood by in our generation and allowed and watched the moral degeneration of our nation and our young people happen. And we have done nothing about it. We've not stood in our pulpits and decried it and caused the the Word of God to be the the moral standard of a society. We, We are failing in churches that will stand strong on the Word of God and to proclaim the truth of a moral God and a just God. We are failing in our homes to teach and to train our children in the moral aspects of God's Word, in His doctrine. We are failing in our schools where uh, years have gone by now and we've handed over the education. The Let me rephrase it. It used to be education. Now it is indoctrination. We have now handed that over to the public school system and have all but lost our control over it. We're living in a time where parents cannot even show up to a school board meeting and express their concerns without being labeled a domestic terrorist. Why? Because we have neglected this thing. I was studying Mark this week. Over and over again, he refers to Christ immediately or straightway. The urgency that the Christ seemed to have in his time of ministry Mark begins with the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ by John the Baptist. And as he moves quickly through the book and concisely through the book, he impresses upon us the urgency of the Lord Jesus Christ, His his, his desire to be obedient to His Father's will and to be fervent in it. We know that we're living in a time and a place where There are many that are denying God now. In fact, I would say that that we are not considered to be a Christian nation any longer. If you were to take the vast majority of our our, uh, citizens and you were to poll them, you were to pin them down on what they held to, there might be some some that would say, I believe that God exists, but the truth is, they would not say that they are trusting Christ as their Savior, nor are they trusting His Word as their absolute truth. We're living in a world where Christians have known for a long time that the problems exist. We've known for a long time that our world is not what it should be. But what have we done about it? If you'll take your Bibles, let's turn to Second John. Go over one more book, if you will. Second John. There's only one chapter in this one. Let's look in verse number seven. <coughs> Second John, chapter seven. John says this: For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This this is a deceiver. And an Antichrist. 
Notice in verse number 8, his charge. He's speaking here to uh, the, the church. He begins the, the book with the letter with the elder unto the elect lady and her children. My love and the truth. He's speaking here to the church. In verse 8, notice what he says. Because of what he said in verse number 7, he says, Look to, what's the next word? Yourselves. That we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. You know what John was saying? You know how many times in the Scripture the Bible tells us that we're to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're to put our eyes upon Him. And there's no doubt the New Testament teaches us that. But you know what John is saying in this letter to the church? He's saying, church, you need to look to yourselves for a moment. I think John was saying something similar to what my heart is yearning for today, and that is that we would look to ourselves in our own hearts to evaluate. He makes the statement here in verse number 8 that if this looking unto ourselves is necessary so that we lose not, notice he says this, that we lose not those things which we have wrought. Can I tell you today, because we have failed to look to ourselves, to see our own failures in doing the work, Fervently, diligently, faithfully, we are losing that which we have wrought. We're losing it. Because of that, we are losing our nation. We are losing our young people. We are losing the next generation that's to come up after us. We're losing them. They are filled with antichrists, people who reject and deny Him. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy. I, I have done my best to lay out the burden, to lay out the problem. I, We can sit here today and we can give it illustration of and indication of and debate about how it came about. And I think understanding how it came about may help us a little bit in being able to remedy the situation. But more importantly, we need to find out how do we fix it. How do we fix the situation that we find ourselves in that this world has found itself in? Paul teaches Timothy some things here. In 1 Timothy chapter number 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. Now the Spirit, notice it's a capital S here, we're speaking of the Holy Spirit of God. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, and doctrines of devils. Now, I want to just stop for a moment. He goes on here. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But isn't it interesting that Paul tells Timothy that the Spirit... Notice what he says, now the Spirit... What's the fourth word there? Speaketh. You know, the Holy Spirit of God is not silent. I'm not saying you hear an audible voice. 
I'm not saying you get some kind of conscious thought in your head that's the Holy Spirit sticking it in there. What I'm saying is that as we read His Word, the Holy Spirit stirs those words in our heart. Even in the day that you and I live, He is still speaking to us through His Word. And one of the great failures is that I believe that the day that we live in, many, many, many Christians never hear the Holy Spirit speaking to them. Why? Because we never read His Word. If the only way the Holy Spirit speaks to us is through His Word, and by the way, that is the way He speaks to us today, we've got to read it. He says, Now the Holy Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. They no longer follow the moral law of God doesn't even bother them anymore. It doesn't offend them at all. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in, notice this next word in verse number 6, remembrance of these things. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of what? Faith. And of good what? Doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto what? Godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both, what? Labor. And what? Suffer reproach. Because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And here's the charge that God or that Paul gives to Timothy. God gives it to Timothy through the Apostle Paul. These things, what command and teach. We've been given a great commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. We quote Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We quote the Great Commission verses. We hold to them. We believe in them. We preach on them. We even amen. But do we do them? We might even do them. Well, let me ask the question a little further. Do we do them as diligently Recognizing the urgency of the task at hand. Recognizing that 
we are failing, we are losing the next generation. Because of our apathy, because of our indulgence in luxury, in leisure, we have neglected the work of the Lord. Paul tells Timothy in verse number 11, these things command and teach. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come, give attendance to what? To reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself, what's the next word? Holy to them. That thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Once again, we find a charge to take heed unto ourselves. Paul was saying, Timothy, you need to look at yourself. You need to take some heed to it. You need to check yourself. Are you being faithful in these things? Now let's go back to where we began. 1 John chapter 2 and we'll finish. 1 John chapter number 2, we know what the plight is. We know what the solution is. What is it that hinders us from doing it? I think if we know this, we can battle it, we can overcome it, and we can accomplish the work God wants us to do. Let's look in 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse number 15. Many people can quote these passages. And I don't want you to miss the point of them because of our familiarity with them. Do we understand how easy that is to do often? We can quote a verse backwards and forwards, but its application to our lives often is neglected. John writes this, Love not the world. He's not talking about the souls of man here. He's talking about the worldliness of the lifestyles. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Can I tell you, one of the big problems and hindrances for you and I to take heed to ourselves and to be diligent in this work that God has given us to do is we have too much of a love for this world. And it is our nature. And it is our tendency to love this world. If any man love the world, the Bible says the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, how much of it? I've heard people say, well, a little bit's not going to hurt me. Yes, it will. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
oftentimes we read that phrase and we think that's only dealing with immoral or sensual desires. This is dealing with the appetites of the flesh. The things that the flesh wants. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, this is the enticement that the world offers. The appearance of things that look pleasant to the eye. Things that we desire. Things that we look at the world and say, boy, I wish I could do that or be there or have those things or live that way. Why? Because our eyes have seen them and we've been enticed. This is why so many churches today have brought the world into the church. Because there's been a lust of the eyes. We want the same thing the world has to offer. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and notice this, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the what? These are the hindrances. The desires of our flesh to take leisure, to not be bothered, to not have to suffer persecution, to not have to endure hardness. It's a hindrance. Our bodies do not like to have to do those things. Our emotions, our, our lust of the flesh does not like to have to endure hardness. Doesn't like to have to bear persecution. Doesn't like to bear the hatred and the disdain the world will have for us if we're doing the work that God's given us to do. It doesn't like that. And so as a result, it becomes a hindrance to us. The enticement, the seeming carefree attitude of this world the seeming pleasures of sin that they're enjoying become enticing. And so we begin to follow after. And it is a hindrance. Maybe that's why Paul said to take heed to yourselves. Maybe that's why John said to look unto yourself. Because maybe these things are happening without us even realizing they're happening. Maybe we're practicing these things with no idea that they're even a part of our life. And what we need to do is come to God's Word, and as the book of James says, use it as a mirror to us, a looking glass, a glass that reflects our image and shows us what manner of men and women we are. And the pride of life, the pride of life, we are... We have fragile egos. We don't like to be ridiculed. We don't like to be criticized. It hurts our pride. It hurts our feelings. The pride of life can become a hindrance to us. I wonder what would happen if at least some of the moments of leisure that we take now, at least some of the times that we do things that the flesh wants to do, 
we were to take those and say, I'm going to take the time that I would have spent on that, and I'm going to go and do the work of the Lord. I wonder what would happen. I'm going to start teaching the Word of God. I'm going to, I'm going to have a Bible study with my neighbors or my friends, or I'm going to pass out tracts, or I'm going to witness to people, or I'm going to uh, get online and, and post uh, lessons from Scripture, or I'm going to make videos, or I'm going to get out on the street corners. You say, Pastor, that's a little fanatical, isn't it? My Savior was diligent. He was fervent immediately and straightway. He wasn't one to dilly-dally or to waste time. He wanted to accomplish His Father's work. I don't want folks to misunderstand me today. I understand there's a time and a need from time to time to get some rest and some respite. And even Christ would get apart sometimes. I'm not saying that there's not time for rest. But I fear that the day we're living in, we have more than abused the time of rest. We've taken so much leisure, so much things that this flesh likes to do, and neglected the work of the Lord. And then we cry out in our churches, how did we get to this place in our world? How did we allow this world to get in such a mess? I wonder, are we looking at ourselves as the problem? Are we looking at ourselves and trying to find the failure that we have been to the work of the Lord? Or are we content living day by day the same way? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Lord, our world is definitely in a mess. And in the tra- that tragedy of it is, I believe the vast majority of people that are gathered here in this room today, while they understand and know that there is certainly problems, I don't know that there is an understanding of just how deep and how far these problems have gone. I don't think we've been a, a, a circle.